0: All right. Well, good morning. Hey, nice to see everybody. How's everybody doing today? Happy Easter to you. Thank you for your patience, getting in and out. It's been already a full day, but uh, God has got you here this morning, and uh, we have a great morning ahead. So I do want to just wish you a real happy Easter. Um, If I don't know you, my name's Glenn. Glenn Barnes, one of the pastors here. Um, And there is an ancient uh, tradition that some say goes all the way back to that very first uh, Easter and the women who went to the tomb, and it is a simple response where I say something and you say in reply, so I say, he is risen, and you say... All right. So you know this. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Say it like you mean it. He is, risen. he is risen. All right. Amen. So hey, let's go ahead and dismiss kids to Children's Church now. And so grade six and down, they've got a special program planned for you. And I've been telling the other services, I've seen it back there. There is a lot of candy for these kids. So good luck. And parents they're yours in like 40 minutes from now so uh, don't worry about it so well, hey, as our kids are heading out, uh, let me just say a couple words uh, by way of welcome. If you're visiting with us today, so glad that you're here. Um, a couple things about the church. First of all, we have in the chairs in front of you what we call connection cards. We want to be a church that's available. If there's anything that we can do to help, to answer questions, to pray with you, um, you could use one of those connection cards, and and we at the church staff would get that and would love to be in touch with you uh, this week. You could fill those out and drop them uh, with one of the ushers at the end of this service. Um, speaking of which, we do a Collect an offering at the end of the service. The ushers will be at the door. It's also super easy to give online, and you are welcome to do that. If you are visiting with us, this is not uh, to... to Give you pressure, but, but rather, our deal is God has given so much to us, and God is doing so many great things. we want to be a part of that and so everything that you give goes to not only the ministry of the church but literally all around um, the world and If you think about it, all around the world today, there are people that, that just did the same kind of thing that we just did that He has risen, He is risen indeed, gathered together in large cathedrals and, and in mud huts and in little homes, all kinds of different places places, different languages. Um, to worship our risen Savior. So we're glad to be a part of it and we take our place in that. Hey, I am going to just pause and ask a word of prayer uh, before we begin this morning's message and open up the Bible together. So would you just quiet your hearts and bow your heads with me. God, we take a moment to just say thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give to us. Thank you, Lord, for your resurrection from the dead. And so I thank you that you brought each and every person here this morning. And now as we pause and quiet our hearts and open up your word. Father, I pray that your word would speak very loudly to us, that the truth that has been from ancient times would speak in new and fresh ways. So we ask, Lord, uh, for each person here, uh, some that have their very first time here, some that have been coming for years, wherever we are, Lord, open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our minds, and let you do the work that you want to in us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, It was a normal Friday morning, just a normal Friday morning when a violin player uh, by the name of Joshua Bell uh, stepped into a Washington, D.C. metro station. We've got a little bit of the video footage right there. And uh, if you can make it out, Joshua Bell is just wearing a a simple sweatshirt and a Washington uh, Washington Nationals baseball cap. And what he does is he takes his violin case and he puts it on the ground and he throws a few bucks in uh, because he wants people to kind of know what you're supposed to do, and then he just begins to play on this busy day, and it looks like that. Pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, in some ways it's not that um, exciting or not really that out of the ordinary. Um, people just going about their busy lives while this man played his violin and people are going by. Uh, he plays for 43 minutes. We're not going to show you all of that, but he plays for 43 minutes. Um, over 1,000 people just pass by without even slowing down or paying any attention to him. 27 actually slow down long enough to throw at least a little bit of money into his case. He makes $32.17 in the time Uh, that he plays, and there is only one person in those 43 minutes that actually slows down long enough to actually stop and really listen. And yet here's the surprise to that whole story. The surprise, if you don't know, is that Joshua Bell is considered one of the greatest violin players in in a generation, right? Joshua Bell normally only plays at sold-out concerts in the greatest venues and in the biggest cities all around the world. He normally makes almost a $1,000 a minute, good gig if you can get it, $1,000 a minute uh, for these concerts, and the violin that he was playing there, it is a 300-year-old violin, handcrafted, and it is worth, wait for it, $3 million. This guy was playing that violin as people just streamed by. For all sorts of reasons, all different reasons, we can't even know why, people just passed by by. Unaware that they were missing a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get close to, to rub shoulders with, surprising greatness. Surprising greatness. And there's something about people missing greatness that's totally relevant for what we want to talk about um, this morning. Our message is called Resurrection Roads. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two stories from the New Testament, both that happen as people are traveling along a road. And the first one that I'm going to Kind of walk us through, if you will, happens when there are two people, uh, and it was on the very original Easter. And these two people are walking the seven miles on this road from Jerusalem, where all these events had been taking place, to Emmaus. And um, these guys had an opportunity to experience greatness in a way. That very few people ever had before. And yet for a number of reasons, their eyes were closed, they had blinders on, and they were missing that opportunity. They were missing the opportunity um, for greatness. So this whole story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 24. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'd love for you to do that. There's a Bible in front of you. It's also going to be up on the the screen there. But in Luke 24, uh, before we even get there, they say anytime you study the Bible, it's important to know not just the verses you're reading, but kind of the context of it. So what is the context of this story that we're about to read? The context is literally the greatest day in all of human history. It was the day that Jesus rises from the dead. And so it's the most significant day in all of history. And yet so many of Jesus's followers still are a little fuzzy, a little unsure, not only about what had happened, but what it all meant for them. So Jesus had been in ministry for about three years at this point. He had a number of different people Following him, not just the 12 apostles, but other people that were following them. And a lot of them had hoped that Jesus was going to somehow be different from all of the other wannabe messiahs and prophets that had come before him. It was not uncommon that people would come by and make some big thing and people would begin to follow them. And they just hoped, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is going to be different. Although it didn't look like that was going to be the case because on the uh, Friday before this uh, great event, on the Friday before this great event, the, uh, the powerful um, religious establishment and the Roman authorities come down on Jesus and they arrest him and they put him on a cross. They crucify him on the cross. It's a common death for a criminal. It's a show of intimidation and a show of force. Now, while Jesus is hanging there on the cross, a number of really amazing and pretty significant things happen. First of all, there's an earthquake that takes place. And then the sky goes down dark. Out of nowhere, the sky goes dark. And then when Jesus actually breathes his last breath, it says that at the temple where the the presence of God dwelt, there was a a curtain or a veil that separated the presence of God and where people would be. And that temple veil was torn in two, separating the divide between God and people. But the most significant things that happens on that weekend takes place on that early that Sunday morning. Because we see some of the women who had been following of Jesus go out to the place where Jesus is buried, and they're just there to pay their respects to him. They want to care for the body. They want to honor him. They want to do this, and so they go out to the place where Jesus had been buried, public place. Everybody knew where it was, and they get there, and to their surprise, early in the morning, the stone has already been rolled away. The stone that seals the grave is rolled away. And so they go inside and they can't believe it because the, the grave is empty. There's an angel there, and, but the, the, the grave is empty. All that's left is like this, this, uh, the grave clothes kind of folded up neatly and placed in the place where Jesus had been laying. By the way, some people say that this is the very first miracle of Easter because what a single guy actually folds his clothes and makes his bed before he gets up and goes anywhere. But I don't think that was really the miracle. The miracle is this. The miracle was that on Friday, everybody had seen it. They'd seen that Jesus was dead and now it was Sunday morning and Jesus was alive. And our story, our event that we wanna talk about takes place on that same day. And our two men are leaving Jerusalem and they're going home to Emmaus. And they are dazed and they are confused by all that is going on. They don't know what's happening when out of nowhere, a man walks up to them and ask them, "Hey guys, what you talking about?" So these two guys are walking along the road and they're talking back and forth. This stranger shows up and what are you talking about? And they're like, "Well, what do you think we're talking about? Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened with Jesus of Nazareth?" Now, you may know this story, and you may know that the stranger is actually a surprise stranger. It is the incognito Jesus. Jesus shows up. They're kept from recognizing him for a number of reasons we're going to see here. But Jesus is so funny because he's so playful with them because they're like, well, we're talking about what happened with Jesus of Nazareth. Don't you know about that? And Jesus is like, Well, why don't you tell me about it? And so that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 19 of chapter, uh, chapter 24. It says, As they were walking along, he asked, What were you talking about? What things? And we were talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So they give Jesus this nice compliment. And Jesus could have just stopped them and said, Thank you very much. But he doesn't. He lets them go on. And they just keep telling the story. They say, Said, well, we thought he was going to be this prophet, powerful in word, but the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all that took place. In addition, some of the our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. But they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman women had said, uh, but they did not see Jesus. So that's kind of the recounting that they give, and, and, and those are very important verses for us, because they give us a lot of insight, some clues into why these two people were missing Jesus. And candidly, why people for generations have been missing Jesus. Literally for thousands of years, the same mistake that these guys made, people have been making as well. So I want to suggest two reasons why these people were missing Jesus on that first Easter, missing the surprising greatness. And the first one is this, is they were looking for hope in the wrong places. They were looking for hope in the wrong places. Did you catch that? You see, they talked about Jesus the Messiah who they had hoped was going to rescue Israel. That's what we said. We hope he was going to come and rescue Israel. Now, Ironically, Jesus does come and rescue Israel, just not in the way that they had expected, right? Jesus came in humility to lay down his life to rescue Israel. They had full expectations that the Messiah was actually going to come and institute some sort of like nationalistic uprising, a, a political, a military, military event of some sort. In fact, it's kind of interesting, the town where they're from, Emmaus, is actually kind of a famous town in Jewish history—it's uh, not in the Bible, but it's in between the New and the Old Testament. There's this revolt that takes place in Emmaus, and the people rise up uh, against kind of the Roman occupiers, and they have this victory there in Emmaus as a part of the, the Maccabean um, revolt. And so they've kind of got this history that this is the place where the people rise up and assert their national uh, power. And so these people are looking for that, and yet what they see is that Jesus came, as we said, in humility to lay down his life, and so they were looking for something and they didn't get what they were expecting. And in this passage you see they're just missing it and they're disillusioned. And you could say that they're without hope. They're disillusioned and they're hopeless. And as I thought about that, are there any two words that describe the state of our world probably better in these last several years than disillusioned and hopeless? Because all around there is just kind of this Angst, this depression, this anxiety, this panic, this addiction, this fear, this lack of motivation, this lack of purpose. And it's not everybody and it's not all the time, but time and time again we see this and people are disillusioned and people are missing that hope. Part of the deal is places where people have traditionally looked for hope, they say that that's not working for me anymore, whether it's government whether it's religion, whether it's education, whether it's money, all sorts of different things. And as sad as that is, and I don't want to bum you out here on Easter morning, as sad as that is, all that does is prove what God has said all along. Because God's word from the very very beginning teaches us this, that every person, you, me, every of the 8 billion people on this planet are made in the image of God. And as people made in the image of God, we're never gonna be satisfied until we connect with the one who who made us. We say it like this all the time, we are made by God and we are made for God. And until we recognize and kind of line up our life with that truth, you're always going to be kind of banging your head against the wall. It's not going to make sense. It's very much like what uh, St. Augustine said thousands of years ago. I love what, what Augustine said. He said, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And we see this in these disciples and we see it in our world today and we see it in some of our lives. Um, and so they were missing Jesus because they were looking for hope in the wrong place. The second thing we see is they were missing Jesus because they knew a lot about Jesus, but you have this sense that they don't truly know him and they don't truly believe him. Why do I say that? Well, it's actually, this is hilarious to me because they know all these details about Jesus. When they, Jesus says, hey, tell me what you're talking about, they give this list of all these things that are true uh, about Jesus, including that he went to the cross and, and on the third day, the, it seems like the tomb is empty and yet what are these two people doing? They are leaving Jerusalem, and they are going home to Emmaus. Now, they just had all this information that something seems to be happening. You know, the tomb is empty. They said it was going to happen on the third day. Today's the third day. And what are they doing? They are leaving town. And I think to myself, are you serious? You couldn't wait around one more day, just a little bit longer, to see if all this stuff is really true. And yet you get the sense that they had a lot of details, a lot of information about Jesus, but they hadn't let it sink in what it could mean for their lives. And I know there's times that I'm guilty of this. There's times when I know facts and I know figures and I know details, but I don't let it sink into my heart. I don't let it sink into really begin to let it change me and, and affect my life. And that's what we see with these disciples. And if I could be so bold, I think a lot of us do this. A lot of us know a lot of details, but have just yet to take that step of faith to say, "Jesus, I want to, I want to trust you." And, and I, I know how it is. People say, "Well, I don't." I still have questions, until I get all my questions answered, I'm I'm never going to be able to follow Jesus, or until I, you know, all the details, I'm not going to be able to follow Jesus, or until I get my life together, you know, then I'm going to be able to follow Jesus, and that's not what Jesus says, Jesus says, bring your questions, bring your doubts, bring your uncertainties, bring the mess of your life, and let us put that back together, but they were missing that, they knew about Jesus, but they didn't know him, And I'm so thankful that Jesus does something for them and he does it for us as well. He's done it in my life and I'm so thankful. He doesn't let them just stay in their confusion and their blindness. He could have just let them go, but he doesn't. Jesus does a couple things. He breaks some things open. And when Jesus on the road to Emmaus breaks some things open with these people, they begin to have their hearts and their minds opened up. And the first thing I wanna suggest is this, is Jesus breaks open the Bible. He breaks open the scriptures. And when he does, he opens their eyes to the truth. Why do I say that? This is what it says in verse 25. It said they they gave their whole speech to Jesus about who he was and then he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I love that. Now we don't know exactly what scriptures Jesus explained. Boy, I would have loved to have been there. This is one of those scenes I would have loved to have been a part of to hear Jesus explain how he he fulfilled the Old Testament. It says he started at the beginning with Moses, goes all the way through the prophets. It's a good reason they had a good, you know, seven-mile journey because there's a lot of stuff for him to to cover. Um, I don't know what he he shared. Maybe it was scriptures that he fulfilled. Things like, I'm going to be the one that's that's pierced for your transgressions. I'm going to be crushed for your sins so that you can be made right with God. But here's what I think. I don't think it's just about one single verse or or this. I think Jesus kind of explained to them and opened up their eyes that all of the promises and all of their longings and all of their hopes were ultimately going to be fulfilled in him. All of the Old Testament was going to be fulfilled in him. One author says it like this. I think it's such a great explanation. It says there are a lot of stories in the Bible talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Lots of stories, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue us. He takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of it, there is a Savior. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see that beautiful picture, and what a beautiful description that is of Jesus. He's like that missing piece that makes not only the Bible make sense, but can I tell you what it meant for me. That missing piece made my life make sense and my world make sense. And so Jesus breaks open the scriptures and, and, and right away their eyes are kind of open to the truth. Kind of their, their mind seems to be engaged by this. But they're still not all in. They still don't quite recognize who Jesus is. And we know this because they keep walking and they finally get to the place that they're, they're going to end their journey there at Emmaus. And it looks like Jesus is going to just keep walking. They're like, we got to stop here. It appears as Jesus is going to keep walking. And they say, no, 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 Jesus, please stop. Come, it's, I know it's getting late. Come inside, let us make you um, a meal. They beg him. And so Jesus says, sure, I'll come on in. And just like Jesus broke open the scripture and opened their eyes, he's going to sit with them and he's going to break bread. He's going to break open bread and it's going to open up their hearts. Because Jesus wants our minds, but he wants our hearts as well. And they're going to see his love and his desire for a relationship. We, We read this in verse 30 where it says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, And began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Whoa, where'd he go? They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So in the same way that their eyes are open, now their hearts are open. It says, Our hearts were burning within us. And some of you that have followed Jesus for a while know that feeling of my heart just feels kind of on fire by the things that God is doing. And I share this to ask you this question. Can you see yourself in this story? I sure can see this myself in this story because there have been so many times in my life where I've been close to surprising greatness. And yet because of all different reasons, I'm going about my business, I'm doing my thing, I'm focused on my worries, my concerns. It's like I'm in a train station walking by the greatest violin player of a generation and I'm just missing Jesus. But the good news is, is not everybody misses him. Like not everybody missed Joshua Bell. One person didn't miss him.
1: Those two guys on the road missed him. You know, it's funny, when you hear the word road trip, what do you think of? Because I think of a car road trip, but in those days, they slapped on the sandals and then probably had a backpack on as they were looking for where to go. In those days, you needed a map, and you did, by the way, if you're under the age of 30, this is a map. <laughs> that's what that's called, right? But you not only needed a map, you needed to know which way the map. Was oriented in which way you go? Let me let me hold a little. uh, Let's do a little experiment here. Everybody, close your eyes. Wherever you're at, close your eyes completely. No cheating. No peeking. I saw that. No peeking. Everybody, all at once, without looking at anyone with you, point east. East. Point east. Oh man, we are in real trouble. If Google Maps ever goes down, you guys are in big trouble. Can I tell you that? For those of you who are pointing the wrong direction, th- that way is east. How many people love road trips? You love road trips? I love road trips, you know? what? And, and, but I'm, on a road trip, I really only have one goal. I think like all men, I only have one goal on a road trip, and that is simply to beat The estimated time of arrival on Google Maps. How many people know what I'm talking about? Like you type in the destination and you look at it and you're like, I can beat that easy. What are they, on a a moped? I can totally beat that. The only time you can't beat that is when your family is with you. How many people know this? I got to pee. I got to pee. I got to pee. We need to stop and get another soda. I need to pee. I need to pee. Listen, we will stop, but you are not getting another soda. You are killing my estimated time of arrival. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or a s- semi-trucks. How many people know what I'm talking about here? The only thing worse than semi-trucks on a road trip is a semi-truck trying to pass another semi-truck. You ever get stuck behind that and you are like, you have got to be kidding me. And I, th- I actually think semi-truck drivers are in it together. Do you think so? Like they've got CBs and they're like, hey Earl, I got a Honda Accord coming up pretty quick on us in the rear. I know you're going 63, I think I'm going to pop over and take it on up to 64. <laughs> I know we're heading to a grade and I'll never pass you, but that guy back there right now is probably saying, are you kidding me right now? I'm, I'm always like, are you kidding me? And then right then afterwards, you ever get past, you pass the semi, you pass the semi and then you give them the eyeball, you know what I'm talking about? The... As you're driving by? And then immediately you do that, someone in the back of your car goes, Dad, I gotta pee. I gotta pee. And I'm like, I am not stopping. I just waited behind those trucks. If we get off, I'm gonna have to pass them again. And I just gave that guy the eyeball. I am not doing that. I am not passing him. But Bible trips in the road trips in the Bible days were on foot. And many times they were, you know, they would take days or maybe even weeks to get someplace. This morning, the second road trip that we're going to talk about is a road trip from the book of Acts. Uh, it's, a, it's another road trip that we see, and those guys missed Jesus? I'm going to show you a guy who found Jesus on a road trip. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and so I want to share with you a story from Acts chapter 8. As a church, I skipped over this a few weeks ago, and I did it on purpose. knowing Easter was coming, but I want to share with you this story from Acts chapter 8. If you've got a Bible or your outline notes, follow along with me. Acts 8, starting in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the, what kind of road? That's right, you got to preach with me. What kind of road? The desert road road that goes down from Jerusalem to Bakersfield. I I mean Gaza, to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. If there's any kids left in here, your mom and dad will explain that to you later. Uh, there was an Ethiopian eunuch in charge of all the treasury. He was very influential, was kind of the treasurer for the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of what? He was reading Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, what? Do you even understand what you're reading, Philip asked. I love this story because this Ethiopian is going to find Jesus, and he found Jesus because he was looking for hope in the right place at the right time. He was looking for hope in the right place at the right time. Philip has just come off of a preaching gig in Samaria. He's killing it in Samaria. Uh, and people are coming to the Lord and believing in Jesus. And then God calls him to go to Gaza. Gaza. Like, this is like going to Bakersfield or, no, Barstow. Barstow. Anybody been to Barstow? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's a road to nowhere with nothing on it, right? And, and that's what they're going. It's this desert road. You're like on your way to Vegas or Phoenix, and, and it's hot. It's, it's 118 degrees, but it's a dry heat. I mean, it's a dry heat. But he's like, are you kidding me? Gaza? Really? Really? It's a place you just don't want to go. And I'm sure Philip must have said, hold on a second. I'm killing it in Samaria, right? The revival's going great. You want me to go there? But get this, Philip was the right person at the right place at the right time. And he he went because God told him to go and he didn't question it. He just went. And we're going to see that if you're ever trying to reach somebody for Jesus, you've just got to step into it. He's looking for people who will go when they're called. I mean, if Philip isn't on this road trip, this story doesn't happen. But Philip wasn't the only right person at the right time. This Ethiopian was there he, at the right time and at the right place. God him, had him there. Um, this guy was a man of authority. He, he was a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia, right? And he was a man who was spiritually seeking. He was searching spiritually. And he traveled a great distance to Jerusalem and he was you know, looking into their scriptures and, and he wanted to you know, examine this faith that they had and he was reading their scriptures. Now get this, this is the easiest gig ever for an evangelist. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have a spiritually hungry people, person riding along in a chariot with a Bible open in his lap, thinking, what does all this mean? I can even do that. Can I tell you? you? That's like shooting fish in a barrel. That's the easiest gig, gig ever. Okay, so he does this. And Philip is running next to this chariot. And he's thinking, first of all, this guy is obviously wealthy. He's riding in a chariot. Philip's on foot. He's obviously educated. He's, he's got a scroll that he's reading. He can read. So he's obviously educated. And Philip is on foot, basically eavesdropping the rich guy in the chariot. This would be like, picture this. You're walking along the sidewalk in Lodi, and at a stoplight next to you, one of those big giant lifted 4x4 trucks stops, window open, music playing, you jump onto the side bar of that truck and stick your head in the window and go, what you listening to? Turn it up. I love that song. What do you think the guy in the truck would say? Get off my truck, man. But that's what happens, and that isn't what he says. He could have sent him away. He could have had his entourage get rid of him. But instead he says, let me, come in. Like, explain this to me. Show me what this means. He was the right person at the right time. But get this, this Ethiopian, he knew nothing about Jesus. He knew nothing about Jesus. And he didn't know anything about Jesus, but he was searching for something, he knew nothing about Jesus, but he was searching for something. Let me tell you something. People are searching everywhere. They're searching for something. I've met people all over the world that are just, they are searching. They don't know what they are missing, but they know they are missing something. People are looking for it in education. Well, maybe if I just learn enough, if I can become smart enough and figure everything out, then I'll, then I'll have it. Some people are searching for it in in, uh, success. I'm just gonna climb the ladder and that'll fill this thing that I'm looking for. Some people are looking for it in wealth. Well, if I just have enough money, I can, or experiences, they wanna go do this thing and once they have enough experiences and there's this line that I've never forgotten, there's a God-sized hole in all of us. No matter what, we know we are missing something. There's something missing. And this Ethiopian knows that, but he doesn't know what. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 31. It says this, "'How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me?' So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He said, "'He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, "'and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. "'He did not open his mouth. "'In his humiliation he was deprived of justice.' Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him what? The, the good news about Jesus. He told him about Jesus. Get this Jesus, Philip makes Jesus known. How does he make him known? He does the same thing. Philip breaks open the scriptures and opens his mind to the truth. We saw it in the last story. It's the same story. He breaks open the scriptures and and he opens his mind to the truth. In your margin, you might want to write next to that Acts 8 passage, Isaiah 53, 7 through 8. Those are the verses that he's reading in Isaiah 53. Let me give you a couple of verses just before that. These would have been the verses that he would have just read before he reads these verses. It says this. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed like sheep. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. Any of that sound familiar? Isaiah's literally talking about Jesus. It was written hundreds of years before, but he's literally talking about Jesus in this passage, right? And, and he, he, he just brought him to the right scripture at the right time, in the right place, and the right guy was hearing it. And he asked, So what does it mean? Explain it to me. And right then he begins to explain it. He starts with that scripture and he talks about many others and he talks about the fulfillment of this scripture in Christ. And he he, he goes on and on and he talks about the Messiah crucified and risen from the dead. In Acts chapter eight, the story continues like this. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being? What? Why can't I get baptized right here? Verse 37 only appears in some manuscripts. I'm going to come back to it in a second. But verse 38, it says, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip, what did he do? Baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Anybody else freaked out? Philip just disappeared. So baptism service, he's gone. That's that's weird. But this Ethiopian, when he hears the truth about the scriptures and who Jesus was, he responds in faith. That's his response. He, he's telling him these true things is, and the His only response was to have faith and believe. And he says, I need to be baptized. He initiates it. I need to be baptized. Why did he say that? I don't know. Philip probably brought it up in the conversation. But I can tell you this over and over again in scriptures. The only response to placing your faith in Jesus Christ is to repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Says it over and over and over again. Even on a desert road to Barstow. I mean, I don't, this is a desert road. There may have been a drainage ditch along the side. This is not a nice baptism experience, but he says, I've got to do it right here, right now. And Philip is gone, and this guy gets back in his chariot, rejoicing on his way home. You know, some early Christian traditions say that the first convert that this guy made when he got back to Ethiopia was the queen herself, And that by the time missionaries even arrived in Ethiopia, there was already a vibrant church there. Can I tell you something crazy? Do you know that in Ethiopia, the population is 63% Christian in Ethiopia? In America, it is 63% Christian. They are every bit as Christian as we are. Because a guy named Philip obeyed the Holy Spirit and jumped up on the side rail of a chariot and shared his faith. He was at the right place at the right time. Which leads me to, so what, Steve? What do I do at this? Well, Philip invites him to go all in. Philip invites this Ethiopian to go all in on his faith. Baptism is a sign that you are going all in on your faith. When you stand in front of a group of believers, a church, and you say, I believe in Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be all in. Baptism is that sign to everyone that you're in. When you stand before a group of people and you hold hands, and the pastor says, Do you? And you say, I do. And do they? And they say, I do. That's both of you going all in, telling everyone watching, I'm all in on this relationship. I will be married to you. You will be married to me. We are committed to each other. That's all in. When you get a tattoo, if you get a tattoo and you slap something along the the side of your body, you had better give it some thought because you were all in on that message at that moment, okay? Don't go willy-nilly into that, all right? You you are all in at that moment. This identifies me. It, It says something that's very important to me. That's what all in is. When you get baptized, you are suggesting to everyone, you are saying to everyone that you have repented of your old life and that you believe Jesus is who he says he was, God's son. And your old sinful life is gone and your new life is waiting for you and you believe. Verse 37, which is included in some manuscripts of Acts chapter eight, says it this way. It is the simplest profession of faith and it says this. Philip said, if you, what? If you believe with all your heart, you may get baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that who? Is what? I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Listen, somebody here today, today may be the day that you need to make that decision. God may be speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit in this room may be speaking to you. You didn't come here today thinking you were going to get baptized, but maybe somebody here today, maybe you need to. Today might be the day, and you're gonna choose to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, but you haven't taken that step to publicly proclaim that you are all in on this relationship with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe for some of you, you've been putting it off. Well, I'm gonna get baptized eventually, but you know you need to do it, but what are you waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for? Here's the thing, I wanna make sure we understand it. Baptism does not save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus Christ saves you. Faith alone. But baptism is an outward sign of an inward thing that has happened to you. When I put on a wedding ring, this doesn't make me married to Nicole. But it shows the whole world that I'm all in on my marriage to Nicole. That's what baptism is. It's a sign. Some of you may be thinking, hey, I'm not ready. I don't have all my questions answered. You are never going to have all your questions answered. What do you need to do to be ready to make that commitment? You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. The way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the father but by him. And that he paid the price for your sins. He hung on a cross and died for your sins. But that wasn't the end of the story. On Easter he came out of a tomb, resurrected. Death couldn't conquer him. It couldn't keep him down. And he, there is no reason to wait for what he has done for you. And Acts twenty two sixteen 16 says it this way. And now, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away calling on his name. Listen, there are some people here already who I know are ready to be baptized today. You know who you are. You've already made plans to do it. You're ready. you got your swimsuit and your towel. If you're ready and you came and you're getting ready to do that in this service, I would invite you to head that direction over there and get ready over there. But some of you, maybe you need to get wet today too. What are you waiting for? Nobody waited in the New Testament. They did it right away. The Ethiopian did it right away. The Ethiopian did not think he was going to ride home in that chariot wet to that day. But he is. Get it, brother? Yeah. And there may be somebody here today that needs to ride home wet in your car. Your upholstery will dry out. But your life will never be the same. You will never be the same. Today is the day maybe that you go all in. So those that are ready are gonna head that way. If you are just making that decision today, God is spurring that decision on you on the spur of the moment. We got towels, we got suits, we got t-shirts. I would invite you to come this direction, over to this hallway over here, and we would love to baptize you today. Let me just pray for you as we're getting ready to experience this. Father God, if you are prompting someone right now, may they hear your voice clearly, that it's time for them to get off the fence and to make the decision to embrace your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God, may we go all in today. God, I pray for those that are already ready and have made their decision to go in, God, but I pray for those that might be still considering it. We are ready for them, God. I pray that they would walk into baptism today as a sign of their love and devotion for you, God. We offer this time to you, God. We are gonna celebrate new life, and we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's like an excited mess back there. We might have to replace the carpet. There have been so many people baptized uh, today. But hey, thanks for being here. It really was. It's uh, so exciting. Um, And God is at work. And it's our prayer that not only are we encouraged by that, but that we would live that made new life as well, that the resurrected Christ would be alive in us. So thanks for being here. Um, Hey, as you're dismissed, um, a little out of breath, let me just say... um, next Sunday, we want to invite you back. We're beginning a brand new series. Uh, This year, our church is studying the Holy Spirit and what it means to have the Holy Spirit alive in us. And next week, we're beginning a brand new series on the gifts, I'm sorry, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, some of the most important teaching in all of the New Testament on what it means to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to jump into that next week. We'd love to have you back. So, hey, it has been great to be here with you today. You don't have to rush off. You're the last service of the day. Um, So, Take your time and hang out. Uh, But for now, let me just dismiss us with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing as we go. God, your people have gathered together here today. We've taken our place with the people through the ages and around the world to say that Jesus Christ is our King, our risen King. And so we thank you, Lord, uh, for the testimonies of faith, the lives that are made new. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would go now filled with your spirit, with your risen Christ alive in us, that 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 light, Lord, would change our lives, would change our families, would change this city, and change this world for your glory. We love you, and we go now in the power and the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. Happy Easter, and have a great day.